Father, we do uh, come to you tonight and we look forward, God, again to what, what we're gonna learn, Lord, the things you're gonna touch our hearts with. And I just think we're all coming from different places. Some of us are, are tired from work and, and Lord, we still bring our, our tired uh, bodies here and, and God, touch those, encourage those. Some are, some are excited to be here, some not so excited. But God, I pray that you'd touch every heart here. And that, Lord, it would be a time where we know we've been in the presence of our God. When we leave here, I just think of the songs we sang, that, that Lord, there wouldn't just be words that we're singing and, and rejoicing in, but, God, there'd be realities in our hearts as we go out into that world and face the world. As your word prepares us, Lord, to live in this world, touch our hearts, be glorified in our lives, I pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're continuing again, remember Paul's writing this from prison. And I think that's an important thing to think about. We're going we're gonna to be spending some time in the prison epistles. So Paul's writing this from prison. And as we said last time when we started looking at the armor, more than likely he's chained to a Roman guard. So he's kind of looking. And I think he's kind of eyeballing that guy. And, you know, part of me thinks he sort of got ball, bored and he thought, oh, just write about this guy and, you know, kind of use his his different uh, uh, armor, kind of put it into some perspective that we can all think about. But what a great perspective. And then he tells us four times to stand. So what does that tell you? Hopefully it tells you uh, the same thing it tells me, that we need to stand. And we're in a battle. We need to understand, and our battle's not against flesh and blood. Oh, we spend so much time doing that, but it's against the powers and the principalities and the princes of darkness. So we understand that. And last time we looked at the belt and the, the uh, breastplate, those things that, that kind of guard us, that we need to stand on, we need to be firm with. And now tonight we're going to look at the shoes. Now, when you think of shoes... And any time, I think, I think when you want, especially when it comes up kind of publicly like that, shoes, my mind goes back to the 80s. Remember that lady from the Philippines, Amelda? Remember? Here's a picture of a museum of her shoes. So there's a few shoes, right? And you think about that, and, you know, obviously, you know, there's all kinds of, like, Ripley's Believe It or Not or Genesis record. I think she's got to have the Genesis. They don't keep record of who's ever had the most shoes. 3,000 pairs of shoes. That's just insane, right? I mean, how can you wear 3,000 pairs of shoes? But anyway, just bringing her up and then kind of thinking about that. I wrote down some things that, that might be a little bit dated, but I don't think, they're, I don't think they've changed. So there is, in the Genesis Book of World Records, the most expensive pair of shoes. Now, when you think about that, where do, where do most of our minds go to? Probably Imelda, right? Or somebody like that. We probably think a lady, a chick, right? A, surely a chick would have the most expensive pairs of shoes. Not, no? Oh, come on, ladies. You're just like faking it. Come on. Guys don't spend money on shoes. Well, I guess they do now with kicks, right? But hey, check this out. The most expensive pairs of shoes were $85,000. The emperor, uh, Bokasa, of one of the Central African countries, 85 grand he paid for a pair of shoes. And they weren't even Nikes. So listen, man, they were made in France. So listen, you have that. And then how about this? The largest pairs of shoes. That's kind of a fun thing to think about, right? 
Here's a guy who, his, his shoe size was 29 and a half. Golly, man, that guy can go skiing, <laughs> right? 29 and a half. They said his shoes would cost about $22,000 a pair because they had to kill two cows. Like they're making shoes, but so listen, we have all of that, and and it's kind of fun. The NFL, you think of the NFL, how many pairs of shoes? They say one team can go through 2,200 pairs of shoes in one season, just because they have different shoes for different things and they wear them out. I was watching a, a golf tournament one weekend, and it was real rainy. It was Sunday, and it was raining towards the end of the tournament. All those guys' shoes were muddy. I think they were in Hawaii. And it's interesting, the announcer said this. When the maids come to their rooms in the morning, you know what they're going to find? 300 pairs of golf shoes because those guys are going to walk off and leave them because they're not going to want to clean them. That's crazy. So you think of all of these things, and and it's fun, but now let's get to the real stuff, right? Because all of that's just kind of fun to think about and look at. But it's interesting that he picks out, you know, this Roman soldier, shoes, and then Obviously, it's obvious if you're going to stand, like he said, what he says is probably the vital, the most important thing to take a stand, shoes. And when you look at a Roman soldier, again, their shoes were, were something that, you know, were very detailed for their time. They were made in a specific way for a specific thing. I remember when I got drafted, and we went through the, quote, in-processing, they called it, and... Uh, uh, I remember going through that as, you know, draftees, and you go through, and they literally just threw clothes at us. You know, they'd say, okay, here. They'd say, what size do you wear? And you'd tell them, and they didn't care. Like, I got, I got a pair of pants one time that were, like, like that much too long. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, so you go back to the barracks, and everybody's trading, trying to get the right clothes, right? But the one thing they took time with, boots, because they're important. They're very important. And, you know, that just sticks in my head like everything else. Here, just wear this. It doesn't matter. Oh, your boots, that's important. And, you know, no matter what soldier, you got to have good footwear to function properly as a soldier. So the same thing for us as, as, as believers in Jesus Christ. we got to have something, man. Hey, if we're going to take a stand, then we better have the good footwear to take the stand. That's what Paul's all about, and that's what he's telling these guys. So listen, let's just read verse 15. We're going to look at it for a while, kind of dissect it some. But verse 15 says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So shod, obviously, putting on, get, get those on. Now, I think most of the time, a lot of us read this, and when we think about it, he says, you shod your feet with the gospel of peace. I think a lot of us are thinking, i got to be someone that's sharing my faith, which, listen carefully, then that puts the burden back on us. Whose armor is this? God's armor. And some of us aren't great at sharing our faith. Some of us, some of us even might be great, but we back down at certain times. Does that mean we're going to be, you know, without shoes? I don't think so. I think what he's telling us in this passage is that when he says with the preparation or it might be with the readiness of the gospel of peace, I think he's telling us we need to put on and have a firm footing that comes from the gospel of peace that's regenerated us, that saved us. And I think that's so important. Again, today, we might almost connect that with truth, right? Last week, we talked about truth and how important truth is in today, in today's culture. 
Well, in the church culture, I think one of the most important things and the things we are, the thing we are losing like abundantly is the gospel, the true gospel of peace. Listen, if you get a false gospel, you're gonna have some funky shoes and you're not gonna be able to stand and you can get a little wobbly and the battle's gonna get tough. You need good, good shoes. You need to have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So having said that, listen, I think he's telling us that we, we need to be those people and we're ready. And so what do shoes do? Let's think about this for a moment. I got, I got, I got three things I wrote down and we'll expand on each one. Number one, I think shoes bring stability, right? You're, and I think you're better with a good pair of shoes than you even are barefoot. Some may argue that and they go, oh, you never send me barefoot. Well, I know, and some of us got grippy toes. <laughs> kind of like orangutans. So we were talking about that earlier. But listen, I think, I think it's, but, but shoes, listen, the proper shoes. Why do people who are really good at sports are really picky about their shoes? Because they want that stability. They want that, that, that thing under them. So, hey, we need that. And I think this church really needed it. Back in, verse, back in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, hey, don't be blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You need to be stable. James tells us, listen, don't be double-minded, right? In James chapter 1, you need that stability. So we need to know the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. And then we need to allow that gospel to let us stand against all of the false gospels, all of the false teaching coming our way. So it brings stability. Now, something I want to ask, and this might be rude, but do you know your Bible as well as you know your movies or your sports heroes? Do you know your Bible as well as you know statistics about your favorite team or whatever? Do you know your Bible that well? I don't think there's anything wrong with knowing that stuff, but if that stuff is taking priority, guess what? You're not gonna be real stable. You're gonna kind of be, you know, you're gonna be blown here, blown there. You're gonna like wave a little bit. Maybe you'll go and just almost fall in and come back, but who wants that? I wanna be sturdy and strong. So first of all, he tells us, listen, I think they bring stability. Secondly, they bring balance, Right, because it's interesting when you start watching and, and researching, especially, especially about athletes. And, and they wear different cleats, different kinds of shoes for different kinds of turf. It depends on what they're playing on, what they're doing. They'll have different things because they, they need that balance. They need to be able to, to control themselves and not wave over here or wave over there. And hey, when I think about that, though, here's what I think is more important. We need balance because sometimes, listen, sometimes some of us are really strong in this doctrine, but we ignore to the ignorance of this doctrine. And we're standing over here and we're strong here and we're not strong there. I wrote down a couple. Some of us are really strong on the love of God, but not so much on the judgment of God. Some of us are real strong on the sovereignty of God, not so much on man's responsibility. And you do that. Hey, have you ever, I think all of us have done that, walked around with one shoe on. Yeah, go, go to battle that way. Try and get involved that way. You're like all off kilter and not being able to do it. So listen, it brings stability. And then one of the, I think one of the most important things, it brings mobility. Shoes give us the ability to kind of move around and get things done. Again, you might say barefoot's better, but not on gravel, right? So hey, you do that and you get, now when I think of, when I think of being 
mobile, I think, you know what? If you stand still as a soldier, you're dead. You gotta be moving. And then I think in this, here's what I think. We're gonna get a little bit more into the gospel. We have this gospel, we have this truth that God has given us. And yeah, we need to share it, and I'll talk about that, but that's not what he's writing about here. He's writing about it impacting our lives so that we're strong and sturdy and and immovable. And so as we think about that, listen, as we think about that, I think of this whole mobility, sometimes you have to change how you deliver the gospel. I think it's bad if you're not, quote, keeping up with the times. I'm not saying let culture dictate what you do, but I think, man, listen, we gotta, be, we gotta be able to change and look at things in our generation, in our culture, and be able to communicate with that. Again, not compromise, but to be able to communicate with that and to be able to talk to people and make the most of opportunities. All of us have an opportunity. God puts things in front of us, and sometimes we're so blinded by what we're doing, and we only got one shoe on that, you know, somebody comes up, and we don't, really? And we just start stumbling, and we're not, we're not ready to take advantage of that. Peter tells us, I love this, man. Peter says this. A lot of us know this by heart. But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready? Are you ready when you're, when you're hey, when you're at the street, when you're, you're shopping, when somebody bangs your ankles with a cart, are you ready to give a defense for the gospel? That might be one of the best times. But are you, are you ready? You gotta think about, where am I at? What am I doing? And we have those opportunities. So you and I, listen, that's about sharing. But how can I share something that's, for some people, always changing? See, the thing that bothers me right now with our culture is, man, we're involved in this, quote, Christianity that I don't think looks anything like biblical Christianity. I brought it up a little bit before, this progressive Christianity, and, uh, you know, some people, I, I, you know, I, I'm looking at it, I understand it, but it's not new. Satan doesn't do anything new. People just repackage it and rename it, and it's the same old, same old lies, But as I think about this, here's the thing. A lot of people, and maybe even some of us, and we need to think about this, a lot of people are involved in transactional Christianity. Now, here's what I mean by that. A lot of us are involved where we think, if I do this, God has to do that. That's not biblical Christianity. Now you've lost the gospel. Now the gospel is completely gone. You've added works to grace. Because all of a sudden now you're thinking God owes you and now you're in a transaction with God. Now listen, I think there is a transaction, but it goes the other way. Jesus did everything to buy us, to purchase us. We receive it. And the modern progressive church is so anti that idea that they say you can't believe that, you can't go with that, and they're all, hey, you start, start listening to people, well, no, you really shouldn't, but... These, lately, this wave that's leaving the church, right? These people that, hey, I walked with Jesus for this long. Now I don't know what I believe anymore. Because they got involved in this transactional Christianity, and all of a sudden, God didn't come through for them. And when God doesn't come through, what do you do? You leave. And you know what's sad is that then, 
also starts creeping into every relationship we have. And if I don't get what I want, what do I do? I leave. And how sad that is. Listen, we need to shod our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel and we need to stand strong. And it's not this transactional, progressive thing. And I, listen, I listen to some of these people and I'm watching some of them and it is absolutely insane of what's going on in the name of Jesus and Christianity. And I'm just going, how does this happen? Now, I believe it's been happening all along. I don't think it's, like I said, I don't think it's new. I think it's just renamed. But right now, we have this thing called the internet. We have YouTube, we have podcasts, we have all of this stuff going on. And instantaneously, now people have a platform. Now someone can get, hey, you know what? Get my phone, start filming. I'm gonna do a YouTube. And they start doing these YouTubes and then somebody else watches that YouTube and then, and then they tell their friend and then all of a sudden that YouTube's gone viral and it's nothing. It's just blah, 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 blah. And people go, wow, that is so awesome. Nobody is blurred like they blurred. <laughs> and they start listening and they go down and it's breaking my heart because, hey, people are starting to admire them. I was listening to one guy who's talking about it and I loved his line. I wish I had his line. It's John Cooper the lead man for the band Skillet, of all people. He's a great apologist. You look at him and go, dude. So don't judge a book by its cover. But listening to him, one of the guys, and I'm not gonna bring up, well, I'll bring up Joshua Harris left the faith, right? Because he decided, I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore. And I love John Cooper goes, dude, you might have settled that like 20 years ago when you first accepted Jesus. These are questions you should have been asking then, not now. How do people get to that place? Well, some of them are uh, going on the church tales of their parents. Some of them are, hey, I'm just believing. And some of us, we just do church because that's what we've always done. Well, you know what, to me, those aren't Christians. Those are just people doing church. Christianity involves our entire being. Everything about us, we're involved in it. And listen, man, that's why Paul is dressing us up and putting these things on. So when I think about this, listen, as I listen to him and he says, hey, you need to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, I, I, I think Acts chapter 10 and 11, I'm gonna kind of tell the story. You can look it up later. I mean, obviously, we got David fighting Goliath, and that's the big one. But when I think about this, when I think about really when you and I have to walk in a world that we think our world's messed up, we think it's contrary to what we're doing, I, I, I gotta think of Peter. Peter's like my hero, just because he does have hoof and mouth disease. He blows it at times, and he blows it really bad, and then he comes back, right? He's that guy, and, and he's back and forth, but Peter, if you remember in chapter 10, Peter's at Simon the Tanner's house. Do you ever question that? Do you ever go, dude, what are you doing at Simon the Tanner's house? Some of you are going, what's wrong with that? What do tanners do? They handle dead stuff, right? They're making leather. What are Jews not supposed to do? 
I'm thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing at Simon? Because he's still, listen, he's still got all that Judaism that he's trying to deal with. But then as he's at Simon the Tanner's house, remember God takes him up on the roof, lets down a sheet, and he goes, hey, Pete, get up and eat. And he goes, not me, Lord. You know how good I am. I know I'm staying at Simon the Tanner's house, but beyond that, I'm being really good, man. I never eat anything unclean. And then they do the whole thing, right, three times, and he argues with God because he's Peter, you can write down 10 and 11 for homework. He's arguing with God because he's Peter. And then, finally, he's like totally Peter. Okay, if you tell me to eat, I'm gonna eat the whole blanket, right? Kind of type thing. All right, I'm gonna do it. And right then, what happens? Most of us know, right? There's a knock on the door. The guys show up from Cornelius' house. Hey, our master, you gotta come with us. And, and then he goes... And I, I just love that whole scene. This goes for people who believe in baptismal regeneration, those people who believe you have to be baptized to get to heaven. I, I, I love to talk to them on that chapter because when he goes to Cornelius' house, you remember what happens? Cornelius says, hey, I had a dream and God told me a man was gonna come and tell me how to be saved, me and my whole household, and here you are, so preach it, right? And Peter starts like just barely talking. The Holy Spirit falls upon them and they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak with tongues. Well, listen, if you're filled with the Spirit, I think you're pretty saved. Just saying, and they're not baptized yet. So I kind of like that. I kind of like that God does that. And then Peter, then Peter does what, right? Hey, we better baptize these guys, man, because they, they just got saved, and we know they're saved. And all of us know that story. Do you know chapter 11? Because chapter 11 starts out with Peter getting called on the carpet. Have you ever found that when you are, and, and you gotta, here's, here's the point. Peter's wearing those, those shoes because he's gotten out of his comfort zone. Hey, he went, and the only thing Peter knew was Judaism, right? He hasn't been a Christian that long, and all he knows is Judaism. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any other writings to go by. He's doing the book of Acts, so that hasn't been written yet. The Gospels haven't been written yet. So all he has is his Judaism, but he goes outside of that Judaism, and he stands firm with the Gospel because he did know the Gospel. He did know that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he stands firm on that, and he does it, and he gets out of everything that he's used to, and he shares the Gospel, and these people get saved. And you think, that's good. Oh, but the rest of the story, and here's what happens to a lot of us. You finally do something like that, and then along come the gatekeepers. What are you doing outside of our realm? Why would you go talk to those people? And remember, they call Peter on the carpet. What on earth do you think you're doing? This is chapter 11. Why are you, what, who said a Gentile could get saved? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, it's just, I'm giving you the Bible. Man, they're so messed up, and they're coming after him, and they're hitting him hard. What does Peter have to rely on? The gospel of peace. It's the only thing he can stand on. Years ago, I heard someone say, when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. Think about that. Because when we got all kinds of stuff, we're not, I'm not so needy, but when Jesus is all you have, then, then you realize he's all you need. And hey, that's all Peter had. He didn't have anything else. He couldn't, Peter couldn't say, but what about Paul in Ephesians? Or what about Paul in Romans? Or what about, all Peter could say was, I was at Simon the Tanner's house. Don't get on me for that. But 
God let down his sheet, and he told him the whole story, right? And he says, and the Lord said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And here's what's nuts, is they go, oh. But they never let go of it. Because then you can read Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14. What happens in Acts chapter 15? They're calling people on the carpet again. And here's the thing, they would not let go of, you need to become a Jew before you can come become a Christian. That's not the gospel. So here's what I'm trying to get across. There's been people battling against the gospel since day one, and a lot of it comes from within. None of you, but from within. And you have that battle, and when you tend to do something, and you tend to, to reach out, and again, I know, I know there are some people who are, in the name of reaching out, doing heresy, and that's not what I'm talking about. But man, you and I, when you're standing on the gospel, here's an incredible thing. When you stand on the gospel, and you got it on both feet, first and foremost, you have peace with God. Second, you have the peace of God, therefore, you have a peace with men, even though they may not have peace with you. You know what I'm saying? Somebody may be in your face, and you're just going, okay, if you've got to do that, do that. But I'm okay. And so, as he's telling us here, man, we need to be those kind of people and, and apply that to our lives and, and walk in those, uh, those uh, shoes. Now, Romans chapter 10 says this, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Hmm. Now some people say that doesn't apply to Ephesians 6.15, but in some ways it does. Because the only way you're going to have those beautiful feet and I think feet are funky. I mean, usually feet are not, to me, considered beautiful. They're like things that we walk on. So they're funky. How can you have beautiful feet? You can only have beautiful feet if the gospel has been internalized and the gospel is real to you. Not because, hey, not because you go to church every Thursday night, every Saturday, every Sunday, whenever you go. Not because you've, you know, you read your Bible, you've been diligent to read your Bible. Hey, Pat, I'm with you. You know, I'm just digging Deuteronomy. It's so much fun. And, you know, that's where we're at right now, if you don't know. But listen, and sometimes that's not the stuff that saves you. That's the stuff that encourages your walk with the Lord. And we're supposed to have this walk, and if we're going to walk with him, what is the one thing we're gonna need? Shoes. And if I don't hang on to the true gospel, and I let other people come in and water it down and take away, and I've noticed, man, the people now, the thing they're getting so tricky about, especially on podcasts or, or YouTube channels, they're getting so tricky at is they sound so intellectual. They sound so good. And we go, wow. I hadn't thought about that before. And one of the things I personally always go back to is number one, the cross. But then you go to the cross and you go, well, how do I know the cross is real? How do I know Jesus is real? Any of you guys ever have doubts kind of people throwing things at you? Maybe you're better Christians than I am. And you kind of start working through things and I always go back to is there a God? Man, and you work that out. Listen, you work that out in your head. You, you don't even need your Bible. Just sit down and look at nature. 
And then you have to do the whole thing. I was gonna say of cosmetology, but no, I can't, no, I'll never say the word. The, the theology of the first cause. We'll just leave it at that because I'm just going to say cosmetology. So anyway, you guys, have, you guys have such a loser for a pastor. I don't know why you keep coming back. But when you go back to that and you start to understand, and I've shared before, I always try to ask the intellects that one question. So can you get something from nothing? Intellectually, scientifically, theologically, philosophically, that is a statement, no, you cannot get something from nothing. I don't care what direction you approach it from. You can't get something from nothing. So something has to be eternal. So I don't have a problem with saying, hey, God doesn't have to have a cause, but I know everything around me has a cause. And I look at it and I don't believe for a minute things can exist without a cause. I don't think things just happen. God caused the things. God created. Years ago, I was talking to somebody. Years ago, I went to a a, a dermatologist, the one who cut my face open. And I went to him years ago, and, and he's like doing his skin examination, and he did something, and he told me I had barnacles, which did not make me feel great. He goes, oh, those are just barnacles. They're part of life. You go, that's a weird way to put it. So then I said, okay. I said, you know what, Dr. Petropoulos, can I ask you a question? Sure. I said, see that mole I have? He goes, yeah. I said, you ever see a mole turn into an eyeball? He looked at me like I was stoned or something. Like, (laughs) what on earth? is?" I said, I'm asking you a serious question. Have you ever seen a mole turn into an eyeball? He goes, well, that's absurd. And I go, I know. But that's what evolutionists try and tell us happened. That there was a mole, and eventually over, you know, thousands of years, and boink, it became an eye. All of that, you know, how do fairy tales start? Think about how they start. A long, long, long time ago in a place far, far away. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, when, hey, when they start telling me billions, trillions, you know, have you ever noticed every generation they add on millions or billions of years? Like when I was in school, it was like maybe the earth was a million years old. Now it's like, what, 20 billion years old? I'm not that old. You know, they, they tell me that, and I'm thinking, man, I've lived a long time. But, hey, we need to call people out on that and say, huh? You're putting faith in that. Why are you demeaning me for putting faith in a God? And I think we should have intelligent conversations. I think that's part of this gospel of peace. I don't think there's anything wrong with people wanting to believe that. And and I'll tell people, you can believe that, but let's have a discussion, and you just don't dismiss me, and I won't just dismiss you. You defend your argument. You tell me why you believe what you believe. Tell me evidence for what you believe. And I'll give you my argument and evidence for what I believe. Have you ever tried to do that with some people? You know what generally happens? I don't want to talk to you anymore. Or, wow, I didn't know it was that late. Christians, too often, we offend before we ever get to the gospel. Because we come across as arrogant, as how could you not believe what I believe? 
Do you remember when you were an unbeliever? I remember how you cannot believe what I believe because I was an unbeliever for 31 years. And we have to understand that. And I believe that's all of what Paul is talking about here as he's telling us to shod our feet. We need to be people, hey, yeah, I don't think we just need to be prepared to share the gospel. I think we have to be people who have, we have ingested the gospel. It has worked in our lives. We've, we've allowed it to, to mature us. Then, now we can have some discussions. And we can have intellectual discussions with anybody. Unless you have to talk about the first cause and you can't say it right. And you have to say, well, let's talk about cosmetology. And they're going to say, What? Have discussions with people. That's, I believe, what he's talking about here, that it's a gospel of peace. Listen, the gospel doesn't always bring peace, doesn't always settle, you know, and, and nice. As a matter of fact, I think that's part of the problem with the church today when we talk about transactional Christianity. Part of the problem with the church today is no one wants to suffer. Everybody thinks God should get everything out of their way. Everybody thinks that it should be a bed of roses. And that's why I'm careful when I give the invitation and I tell people, hey, I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be perfect, but I'm going to tell you you can face anything when you got Jesus on your side. But Jesus said, we are going to suffer in this world. That always cracks me up when somebody does something in the world and a believer will come to me and go, oh, I can't believe they did that. They just crushed my little spirit and I'm all upset. And, and I'm going, they're in the world. Saints, why would we expect the world to treat us decent when they crucified Jesus, when they martyred most of the apostles? Why would we think they're going to embrace us and go, man, I just love you? And, you know, sometimes, listen, I love worship songs that encourage me and tells me I can face things, but I'm also careful in my mind to understand that doesn't mean the things aren't gonna come. Doesn't mean the mountain's not gonna try and crush me. Doesn't mean things are gonna fall, not fall on me. It means that with Jesus, I can stand. And that's the gospel of peace because of what he's done. And saints, we need to guard that with all of our hearts and maybe this is just for me, you know, tonight. Maybe this whole part was just for me to, to strengthen my heart and what I believe and stand strong. It's getting harder and harder as a pastor, not with this group of believers, but as a pastor at large, to stand strong and firm on not just the word of God, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's gonna get any easier. I think it's gonna get more and more difficult you all are going to have to take stands. And some of you go, well, I don't want to. Well, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to. So here's what you need to do. First of all, put on that belt of truth. God's truth. Slip on that breastplate of righteousness. And you've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love thinking about that. Do you, do you ever just go to bed at night and go, oh, I got the righteousness of Jesus. Feels so good. And then I'm going to, on my feet, man, I'm going to strap on those, those Roman sandals. You ever do it? Check it out. Google it when you get home. And they wrapped them around their shin and, and did stuff. I'm going to get those shoes on, and I am going to stand. Why? Because I have the gospel. I have the truth. I have the righteousness. Woo! We'll cover the rest next week.
Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you again, Lord. We thank you for your, your grace in our lives and how good you are to us. And God, I do pray. I pray that as we, as we get ready to leave tonight and, and Lord, as we get ready to go, quote, out in that world, that we wouldn't go out with like one shoe on and one shoe off or we wouldn't lace up our shoes, whatever the things, or, or even try and go barefoot. God, help us to know, believe, and understand this thing we call the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ came from heaven, lived a sinless life, died for us, took our place so that we could be free. Lord, not so that we could have a wonderful, beautiful life, but so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. And I pray, God, I pray that that would become so real to us that we wouldn't let people rip us off. We wouldn't let people come around us saying, I don't, I'm not sure that that is true anymore. And maybe it's not for them. But don't let it take away from us. And God, I pray that we would be men and women who fight the battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against those rulers of darkness. And God, that we would bring you glory with our lives. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you've never asked Jesus to save you, you've never asked him to come into your life, to take control of your life, Man, tonight is the night to do it. Right now is the time. All you have to do, all you have to do is call on his name, is pray to him and let him know that's exactly what you want. And I just want to encourage you, listen, I know, I know again, there's some teaching kind of against that. It can't be that simple, but it is. It's simple from our perspective. It costs God everything. And it took all of Jesus to redeem us. That's the reality. Now he offers it to us as a gift. And you just need to receive it. So if you want to do that, I'm going to say a prayer with you. And you say this prayer out loud, you can say it silently, but it's got to come from your heart. You got to be real with God and you got to let him know that tonight, right now, you are ready to walk with him and to enjoy him. So if you want to do it, you can say this with me. If you're backslidden tonight, and maybe you're here and, and you just backslid, and maybe you backslid for a little bit. Maybe you've been backslidden for a couple years. Maybe a couple decades. And Christ is calling you back, man. Just, you know what? I love to say it this way. Come home. Come back to Jesus. Come back to that relationship with him. If you're watching online, again, those of you who are online, you can say this prayer. You don't have to be here. You can say it right there in your homes. But say this prayer with me out loud or silent, but it's got to be sincere. You've got to sincerely mean it. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm asking you right now to forgive me. 
I'm sorry that I sinned against you, a holy God. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. Now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.